0: You are listening to a Raw Collective podcast. Hello and welcome to What Matters Most, a podcast hosted by me, Antonia Preble, and my good friend, Jackie Maguire, who also happens to be a clinical psychologist. Together, we will explore everyday issues that make up the moral and cultural climate of our era, issues that have a real impact on how we experience and feel about our lives, We hope that these conversations will resonate with you and offer you that little bit of friendship mixed with therapy on the days that you might need it. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of What Matters Most with me, Antonio Preble, and Jackie (laughs) McGuire, clinical psychologist. (laughs) Hey, Jackie. So great that we are finally doing this after many months of planning and plotting. It's great to be here. It is. It's always nice when you have your inaugural moment together. Mm -hmm. So I feel like we should just explain a bit about who we are and why we're doing this. So Jackie and I are friends, IRL. We had our first babies. At the same similar times And we joined a mother's group That we are still in Shout out to all the space moms out there
1: I actually remember the moment Antonia walked into the room And I thought She's famous (laughs) Shit, I better not make a fool of myself In front of her And that moment of can I speak to you? If I speak to you, will you think I'm just speaking to you because you're famous? <laughs> How do I like be genuinely interested
0: in you? So yeah. yeah, well, I remember that moment very clearly. That's so funny. Well, I, I mean, whatever you did, it was great because we struck up a friendship pretty soon. <laughs> but I remember you were so lovely because it must have been our second or third space moms meeting, and I sent a text to at the WhatsApp group saying oh, I'm not going to make it today. The wheels of this week have really fallen off. And you, it was probably the first time we'd had like a actual like one-on-one interaction and you texted me and said, hey, it sounds like you're having a really hard week. I know what that's like. Let me know if you need to chat or if I can help in any way. I did don't... I do that? Yeah, you did that. Oh, <laughs> That was good of me. It was really good of you. <laughs> and it was, yeah, it was so lovely. I thought, Oh, wow, that's a really great friend To level there. it, isn't it? It doesn't matter who you are
1: or where you are. Yeah. When you're in challenging times and someone else isn't it in the same space as you? Yes, connection
0: forms? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that is how we know each other. And we are also just both interested in the same kinds of things. Uh, Jackie, you've said to me before that one of your main passions in life is as a clinical psychologist is to take science and to take research and data and communicate it to people in a way they can understand so they can improve their lives. Is that a good summary of how yeah, I think thinks?
1: I think at my core I have a fundamental belief that everyone deserves a good life.
0: Mm-hmm. But I'm a
1: realist and I know that we're all born with different circumstances. So, you know, I was born into a family with a psychologist and a social worker as a mum and dad. My dinner table chat will be very different to many other families, for example. And so I think some of us start our life on a trajectory where you are surrounded by knowledge that is helpful in terms of being able to live a good and meaningful life. And others of us aren't so lucky or there's circumstances where you haven't been able to learn that by osmosis. And so I think as a psychologist, my belief and my role is that I've got access to information on how we can all live a life that's meaningful for each of us, which will be very different. And being able to then take that information break it all down, and go, here's how I can communicate it back to New Zealand or back to the world in terms of take the bits that are relevant for you and shape it to your life is really important to me. So no matter where your baseline is, where your starting point is, you've got an ability to go and create a life that is valuable and meaningful for you.
0: Amazing. That's such a beautiful goal to have, and you, you do do it so well. I'm interested in exactly the same thing in terms of i want to learn more and then share the knowledge about how to have a meaningful life that just it totally encapsulates where i'm coming from and the kinds of things that i'm really curious about and the kind of knowledge that i want to share so we are kindred spirits i guess in that way you come at it from a science background and i come at just from a curious person background from a life I background From a life background, yeah. So anyway, we have decided to join forces and create this podcast, What Matters Most, where, as the title suggests, we talk about the things in life that matter the most, the issues, the ideas that really shape our experience of our lives. And our hope is that through our chat and through Jackie's expertise as a clinical psychologist, uh, we will be able to demystify certain topics, clarify certain ideas, and provide some practical tools that we hope will really help everyone who's listening navigate their lives perhaps somewhat more smoothly.
1: And in our brainstorming for this podcast, which is Antonia and I and two beautiful women who own the production company that put this on. Shout out Hannah and Laura. Shout out Go to R Collective. It's so lovely being part of a team because I often work on my own. But in that we had this deep conversation of what do we want this podcast to be and what do we what do we want it not to be. Mm-hmm. And I was really clear I didn't want this podcast to be based on therapy issues. I didn't want it to be a podcast where we came on and we only spoke about mental illness or really tough, challenging things that people are going through. I think there's absolutely a place for that and it's important people get good information on that. But we decided we didn't want that to be this podcast. What matters most, we decided we wanted to focus on life issues Mm -hmm. for people that are in the same perhaps stage of life where... Regardless of your gender, regardless of your marital status, whether you're a parent or not, life is busy. The world is busy. We've got access to so much information. What do you want to take on? What do you want to leave behind? How do you make sense out of that conundrum of information that is presented to you? We wanted to talk about topics that we think resonate for a lot of people, and we're through our conversation, hopefully, and through our friendship, you feel like you've got a place where you can tune in and be and connect and have a bit of reflection on mm-hmm. your life and little things that may be a light bulb moment for you yeah. or
0: help you tweak how you level, how you think. Yeah, absolutely. Well put. <laughs> well, for our very first episode, I wanted to talk about a topic that I've actually been interested in for quite a few years and have explored in, in various ways, but I really wanted to get your take on it as a clinical psychologist and just As you, (laughs) and that is the pursuit of happiness. Mm. It's a real biggie. It's pervasive. I read a statistic that there are over 10,000 studies on happiness every single year. So there's so much interest in it. When I put in how to be in Google, the first option that comes up is how to be happy. And there are just limitless numbers of self-help books on the topic. Here's just a few. The Happiness Project, Stumbling on Happiness, The Happiness Hypothesis, The Art of Happiness, The How of Happiness, Authentic Happiness, The Happiness Advantage, The Book of Joy, The Happiness Equation, I could go on and on and on. Mm. There are so many books out there telling us how to be happy. Or that we should be happy. And that we should be happy, that we should pursue happiness as a goal. And if we achieve that goal somehow, how do you even really quantify that? As a general idea when it really is such a personal state But anyway, we can get into that And if you achieve that as a goal Then somehow you're living a good life Mm. But it's such a trickier, more complex equation than that, right? And I think so often when we go on this path to pursue happiness We're really just going in the wrong direction And it's not going to do us any good at all So that's what I would love to talk about today Okay, (laughs) let's go. Let's go. Push play. Uh, Great. Oh, damn it, we weren't recording. Uh, (laughs) So, should we just start at the beginning? Yeah, and
1: she's going to ask me, Jackie, what's
0: happiness? I am going to ask you what is happiness, because to me, I think one of the reasons this, this idea of the pursuit of happiness is so pervasive is that we can quite easily get an idea of what we think happiness is. We know what the concept is. We know for ourselves when we feel happy. And of course, it's a really enjoyable state. So why shouldn't we want more of it? Why? Of course, that would be a good thing to strive for when it's so enjoyable, but it's so much more complex than that. So whilst we might think we have an idea of our own happiness, are you able to give us like just a general definition?
1: Yeah. Before I do that, because I'll give you my thoughts as a psychologist, and then I will give you The actual research. But just Antonia, as a human being, where you're not a psychologist, when you hear the word happiness, what does that mean to you? It means like pleasurable contentment. Okay, pleasurable contentment. So for me, at a broad high level, when I hear the word happiness, it's an emotion. Mm -hmm. And we have many, many emotions. If you were to Google emotion list. It would come up with hundreds of emotions or states that you could feel. When you then think of why, as human beings, do we have emotions, which happiness is one of those, we have emotions to drive behaviour. So, emotions are linked to that primal need of survival, and positive emotions drive us towards something, negative emotions drive us to survive, whether that be to retreat, to attack whatever it may be, it's a driver of behaviour. Happiness is there to push us in a certain direction to feel good, to seek connection, to do things that are positive for our well-being. What I also know to be very true about emotions though is that they are fleeting because they are there to drive behaviour or to help us make sense of our surroundings, or to help us feel validated in what we are experiencing. They are like a bell curve. They come and they go. When we've got the message, when our brain is heard it loud and clear, it can dissipate and we can move on. So that is the function Of emotions. So for me, when I hear about the word happiness, I would go in your human experience. Of course, you want to experience happiness at times when you are doing things that bring you joy, that bring you pleasure, that provide you comfort. However, what I think we're hearing from those book titles, from the 10,000 studies a year, is that people are driving or hoping for a continual or perpetual state of happiness. And just stop and picture what that would mean. If we want to always be happy, then we are always driving to seek something. And it means we don't experience the full range of emotions that we actually need to live a well and functioning life. So at the outset, This drive and pursuit of happiness is one unrealistic. It is never going to happen. You cannot hold on to one emotion forever. They have to ebb and flow. They have to come and go. They have to rise and fall. That is how emotions operate. But then if you go, well, actually, how do you define happiness? So let's take that one emotion and break it down. There are two types of happiness if you look at the research. And this is in the Western world, I should point out. But if you take that feeling of pleasure, for example, that is what we would call hedonia. It's in the moment experiences or feelings that make us feel good. It's the stuff we love. We want the pleasure. We want the joy. We want the contentment. We want to feel like that because it helps us feel good. Mm -hmm. But there is also eudaimonia, which is about having a meaningful life, having purpose in life, being good-spirited in life. And that's not about perhaps happiness. In life, it's about happiness with life. Mm. And I think for many people, when they think about happiness, their brain immediately goes to feeling happy in the moment, the emotion that comes. And so if you break it down and you think about happiness in those two terms, I think it widens your perspective on what you're trying to achieve if you're pursuing happiness. Not only feeling good, but being happy or content with the meaning and purpose you have in your life.
0: And suggesting that being content with the meaning and purpose in your life is a far more beneficial goal to strive for. Well,
1: I think it's a far more realistic goal. Mm -hmm. So if we can come to accept that your happiness and your feelings will come and go, meaning you actually have to experience unpleasant feelings in order to experience good feelings like Mm -hmm. happiness. So if you never want to feel ashamed, sad, disappointed, grief, if you don't want to feel those unpleasant emotions, if you blunt yourself from those, you'll never feel the good emotions. Emotions are a joint deal. You have to Mm. have the pleasant and the unpleasant. But if we're purely focused on attaining that feeling of joy or or pleasantness, then you're constantly seeking and chasing. Because what happens with the human brain is, I think many people go, if I just get another job, I'll feel like that. Mm -hmm. If I just have more money, I'll feel like that. If I have different friends, if I, you know, whatever it is, if you're seeking to achieve that feeling of goodness, pleasantness, joy, then actually what happens is once we have those things, your body habituates. Yeah, you know, right. you so get a pay more. rise, it feels awesome for two weeks and then it doesn't matter. You know, you move to a different location, it's it's different or exciting and then you habituate. And so that's just how our, our body operates. And yeah. if you're constantly chasing, then nothing will ever
0: be enough. So true. It sounds like it's a double-edged sword. Like on the one hand, pursuing happiness is not going to work because it's a fleeting state. So if we're trying to make it a permanent one, we're just barking up the wrong tree. And then on the other side, if we're being told that to be happy means you're like doing well in life, you've got a good life and you're not happy, then you'd feel doubly worse about it. So not only can you not attain it, but then the fact that you can't attain it makes you feel worse that you can't attain it.
1: Absolutely. Or like you're a failure and that double downs on you, as you say. So So how did
0: this happen? How did we get To the point where there are just an infinite number of books telling us that we should be happy and how perhaps we might get there when it's clearly so counter to how we're truthfully wired. Well,
1: I'd love to have a conversation with my Nana Patsy, who was my number one person in the world. I'd love to. I'd love to go back and say, hey, in the 1940s, did women sit around and talk about being happy all the time? And I would bet my bottom dollar that the answer was no.
0: Hmm. Why?
1: Perhaps because there were significant life challenges that people were just getting through. Also, I wonder as, as time has gone on, as this era of you can be anything you want to be in life, as we've had globalization and hyperconnectedness around the world and information at our fingertips, has there become this overwhelm or this deluge of looking at other people through a specific lens and thinking this is how I should live or this is what it means to live a good life mm-hmm. rather than perhaps looking through that lens, that eudaimonic lens of what is meaningful, what is purposeful, and actually that's where I should put my focus. Mm. And if you break that down in terms of what's the meaning or purpose that enables us to live a good life, a purposeful life, a meaningful life, well, let's take a look between the West and the East. So in the West, when you ask people about happiness, they talk about individual achievements. Mm -hmm. They talk about status and money and achievement. If you ask the East or or those living in Asian cultures, for example, they talk about community. They talk about relationships. They talk about togetherness. And when you break that down and you look at really what matters to us from a physical and mental health perspective around that eudaimonic life, that well being of life, relationships are key. They're fundamental. That togetherness, that giving to others, altruism, you know, being able to use your time and energy for good. If our focus is spent on those activities, you've got a far greater chance of living a life that you reflect back on and say that was a life well lived Mm. rather than trying to catch a momentary emotion.
0: Yeah, because happiness is such a self-focused emotion, isn't it? It's your own happiness. In the West. In the West that you're striving for, potentially not in relation to anyone else Mm -hmm. or anything else. You know, I am happy, full stop. Whereas if you're pursuing meaning or purpose, it's, it's just sort of is inevitably involving things and people external to you. So you're automatically in relationship with the world in a different way than if you're just focusing on yourself and your own happiness.
1: Yeah, and I suppose you look at that when you're so focused on yourself or you've got a hyper-focus on your every movement, decision, et cetera, you scrutinise that. And I think sometimes the more you think about things, the more you overanalyze things, you're setting yourself up to fail, right? Like you're not allowing yourself just to be or you're not enabling yourself to think long-term or big picture around how you want to live. You're just caught and in, in focused in this trap of now. And so... Whilst I think the pursuit of happiness is a fallacy, one of my favourite psychiatrists, Dr. Russ Harris, wrote a book called The Happiness Trap, and I I think that's what it is. It's a Mm. trap. If you're stuck in that loop, you're only going to be set up for disappointment. And how do we shift people to start saying, how do I live a meaningful life, a satisfying life, a purposeful life, rather than how do I live a happy life?
0: So how do we do that? If we feel like we are on the hamster wheel of happiness, that's got a good ring to it, doesn't it? Mm. <laughs> how do we recognise that that's what we're doing and what are some things we can do to, to change direction we'll and change focus? press the big red
1: stop button or pull the plug like when you're on the treadmill and step <laughs> off for a second. Step off, catch your breath and give yourself time to go, what is meaningful and important to me? And so as I'm sure we'll come back to many times through this podcast, Values are critically important to living a life that's meaningful, and when I talk about values, people go, "Well, Jackie, I don't know what I value. How mm. am I supposed to determine that?" And there are many different ways in which you can sit and reflect on on what you value. A kind of key psychology exercise you can do is to picture yourself. So, Antonia, picture yourself at ninety seven. Picture yourself as a beautiful, you know, graceful, grey haired woman sitting mm-hmm. on your front porch, mm-hmm. looking out looking out over the hills and go, what do I want to have achieved in my life? What do I want to be remembered for in my Mm -hmm. life? What are the memories that stand out and are poignant to me? And if you can take yourself through that visualization exercise, that is one way of getting to your values. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Mm. Antonia, picture yourself as a beautiful, graceful, grey-haired lady sitting on your porch. Dan might be beside you. Look out. Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. I'm, I'm living an optimistic hope that the Absolutely. two you will live a long life together. 96. Look out. And what do you want to remember? What do you want your life to be defined by?
0: I think my connection to others and my contribution mm. to society. One of my biggest values now, which is not entirely answering your question, but is to keep learning. Mm -hmm. Like to me, that is just so fundamental to my life. And I just light up whenever I feel like I am learning something Mm -hmm. new and growing and developing because to me, that is what life is about. It's learning more about myself, more about the world, more about other people so that I can best use this time that I've got to connect and contribute, so I guess when I'm that graceful ninety six year old with a gorgeous purple shawl around my <laughs> shoulders, I would like to go, yeah, I um I did everything I could to learn and grow as much as I could so that I made really positive connections and and contributions. yeah, yeah, so
1: take those three values: connection, contribution, growth, or learning. Mm-hmm. And then if you have those values, I got shivers in it, so it's amazing when you get to someone's core, isn't it? When you think about those and you then look at your daily life, are they your compass for how to make decisions? Mm. So rather than how do I get that pay rise, how do I just feel glee in this moment? Instead you go, am I... Habitually operating in a way that enables me to connect with people. Okay, what's my habits? What are the things that I do on a daily, weekly basis that enable me to connect? Am I connecting to the people that I want to connect with? Mm. Then maybe a job comes in for you and you go, okay do I say yes or no to this piece of work? And you might come back to that contribution. What is the contribution that I will be giving to the world by saying yes to this piece of work, for example? Or if you have another opportunity that comes up or where you want to invest your time, am I learning and growing with that? And so if you can use your values as a compass, if you can look at your habits or your behaviours and go, how much do those reflect my values? That's a really useful way of guiding the decisions you make and the way you spend your time So that's one practical thing that people can do is to get off the treadmill, press the red button, stop and reflect what's important to me and are my actions mirroring those. And if they are epic, awesome, you're on a really good pathway to living a life that is fulfilling for you. If they're not, if there's differences there, then I think you've got the task of going, okay, well, what needs to be different for me? Mm -hmm. How do I need to shift or change what I'm doing to reflect those values? And I'm not saying between now and when you're beautiful and graceful in 96, those values may not change. They may, but every so often, periodically, can you go through that exercise for yourself? And I think you're then pursuing a life that has meaning to you rather, as I say, than trying to just capture that happy feeling
0: for a moment. Mm. Oh, Jackie, that's just such good advice. And I hope everyone listening goes through that exercise because it doesn't take long, right? Like I sort of feel like we all do know what our values are, but we just might not have thought about them in a, with that terminology. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to look too deeply, right? because we have we can have strong instincts about what is important to us. So that exercise doesn't have to take. Too no. long, but it can be really illuminating. And there are different ways to do that exercise. So I
1: have value cards, for example. That I think there's probably 60 cards in the deck, and I get people when I've done it myself to go through and sort those out from you know what's important to me, not important to me. You sort the deck out, and then you take your important pile and you got to whittle that down to your top five. It takes people can take over an hour to do this exercise because mm. you're really having to challenge yourself on what is the most valuable to you, what holds the most meaning for you. But if you can do that, I think it gives you some clarity and what it gives you some direction. I haven't done it for about two years. The last time I did that exercise, I'd be longer. Orla, my eldest daughter, was young. We were living in Auckland. We had lost my father-in-law three uh-huh. weeks before she was born. We had bought and renovated a house in her early weeks of life, we had moved. I shudder for you. I know, I know. It was some not good life decisions all at once. We were, you know, living in Auckland, in this beautiful house but it was very near a main road and like boy races would whip past our house as I was trying to get the baby to sleep. Oh, and it was so not nice. a particularly nice period of time in my life. And so my mother, the psychologist, whips out her values cards for my husband and I and she sent us off in different rooms and we had to do the exercise independently and then we came back together to compare our values to help us make some decisions about what we do. And my number one value was home feeling comfortable at home, feeling at peace at home. I'm a home girl and it is really important to me to have a solid basis of home. And so I was like, my home doesn't feel like my home. Mm. I've grown up always being by the sea. I'm in a concrete jungle. What am I doing? And so Mm. home coupled by freedom, coupled by nature, they were some of my top values were behind a decision to move and it was a great decision, right? And it was a good decision. And my husband's was inner peace. His number one value was inner peace.
0: Mm.
1: And that inner peace was that our family could be in a place where we weren't stressed or scrambling or on the hamster wheel, that we were in a place where we could be. And so I'd be interested to do it again. I should yes. do it again and see whether those have changed. But we'll again, report back. I'll, and report back. But, you know, I think sometimes it can be quite useful to have your mind opened to a range of values rather than maybe what just... Popped off surface wise.
0: That's just what I was going to say, actually. I think, like, home, I don't think I would have necessarily had that in my arsenal of what values might be. But of course, hearing you talk about it, it's like, of course, what are your values? What is valuable to you in your life and your experience of life? What will make you feel better Mm -hmm. about your experience of life? And yeah, a lovely home environment is, of course, really important. It reminds me that values don't have to be all sort of. Externally outwardly focused, like about your career or about how much money you make, which again can so often be at the forefront of our Western thinking. Mm -hmm. But it's okay to just want to have a nice home environment. You know, that is an absolutely valid value Mm. to have and a valid priority to have in your life. Okay, what about if someone is not in a place in their life where they feel particularly purposeful or like what they're doing? is particularly meaningful, but for whatever reason, it's not the right time to actually make changes. Is there a way that we can reframe our perspective on our current circumstances in order to make them more meaningful for us, if that makes sense? Well,
1: for example, you say that, and I think of people who are in a job where perhaps they're not so passionate about their job. Yeah, I think
0: that's what I'm talking about. Or actually, it's bloody hard
1: economic times right now. You might not have the opportunity to go and pursue a job that's going to fulfill all your meaning in your work, for example, because actually reality is you've got a mortgage to pay and kids to feed Mm. and times are tough right now. And so then I think it's about going, well, where can I find that meaning in my life? Is that in my relationships? Do I have hobbies that provide me meaning and purpose? And I think that comes through, again, a realistic lens that life is not all rainbows and butterflies. Mm. You know, I, I think unfortunately there is a little bit of the sense out there now that life has to be perfect and that if life isn't fully realized, or, every realized or we're not living to our true potential, then something's wrong. And actually life is a journey mm. and we grow and shift over time. We learn over time and some parts of life potentially may be less happy than other parts, but it doesn't mean they're bad. It doesn't Mm -hmm. mean there's something wrong with those elements of life. And so again, I think- They are just- They're just parts of life. And so I think you look at your life as a whole picture of what contributes to you and your experience and, and how you live and the people you live with.
0: Yeah. Do you think we do have unrealistic expectations of what our experience of life should be? How- happy, how content, how exciting it should be because of all this rhetoric. Shoot for the moon. You can be anything you want to be. Like that's, actually quite a lot of pressure. I think it's
1: a huge amount of pressure and I think unrealistic expectations add to the sense of I'm not living how I want to live. and And I'm not living
0: as good as other people are because if this is what I should be doing, other people are clearly doing it, but I'm the one left behind. And you look at our rates of anxiety, depression, distress, they're increasing. So the focus on happiness and pursuing happiness is in fact making us less happy. That's an overly simplistic way of putting it, but it's definitely it not improving to. Yeah. Yes,
1: absolutely. And so I think, again, from a crude point of view, I think when you look at behaviour change or how people live, often if you're wanting to shift something, people go to the extremes. So you may look in the past and you may look to our grandparents' generation and go, well, they really lived it tough. Maybe they didn't have enough joy, or they were in this mindset of life's just hard, get on with it. And I'm not advocating that. I absolutely think you can make a meaningful, purposeful contribution to your own life. I think it's important that we are very clear and purposeful in how we live. And I think potentially a long time ago, people might have just, in for other words, sucked it up. And I don't think, I'm not advocating for that But often, when we look at that and we go, we want to live differently, what happens is people do a full 180 and you swing to, well, I don't want to be like that. So, okay, we're going to ensure that we are actively pursuing brilliance, happiness, success, freedom, authenticity. all the mm. time, and I think probably it sits somewhere in the middle mm. that you need to recalibrate, and maybe we're in a time now where we're
0: recalibrating. Yeah, we've swung too far the other way because as you were talking, I was even thinking about how perhaps we might expect too much from our from the relationships in our life, mm-hmm. whether that's a partner that you want to be everything and to make you happy all the time or even just to have a really happy relationship. Like how do we know if our relationship's good enough? How do we know if our life is happy enough. And yeah, unrealistic expectations to think that it's going to be good all the time. It's just not going to do you any favours, is it? All people's work where they think with all their meaning will come from their job. Mm. And actually
1: it's, you know, when you look at, it, at well-being from a workplace perspective, you have some people that have a job, aka they go to work just to get paid. You have people that have a career, so they're working for hierarchy and status and climbing that ladder. And you have people that feel like they've got a calling. And so, when you look at well-being from that perspective, those that feel like they're working in their calling, their well-being is better. But that doesn't mean the person that's in the job that is literally collecting the paycheck doesn't have a good life. Maybe again, they go, "Work serves a function. Work serves a function to give me my paycheck, so I can go in pursue my hobbies, be in the community." help raise my grandchildren, whatever it is, work enables me to do other things. And so again, I don't think there's a black and white answer to any of this, but I do think we need to be looking at life from a holistic perspective. We need to look at the elements that contribute to how we're living. I think there is a fallacy that every aspect of life being brilliant is going to come true because it just, just won't for anybody. Just won't for anyone.
0: And it feels like I mean it's you don't want to blame like everything on social media because these issues have been around prior to social media but it does seem to amplify all these issues but that we all kind of want a life less ordinary now and that's and it like a, a sort of fabulous shiny life where wonderful big achievements happen that are publicly affirmed is the only way to have a good life or is the better way to have a life but It's wrong, isn't it? It's just... Well, I'm going to be controversial now. This is my view. I'm not putting this out as a psychologist.
1: This is just Jackie McGuire's view. (laughs) But I also look at young children, for example, where every member of the team gets player of the day and it's got nothing to do with how you've performed. It is fair and even and politically correct. Mm -hmm. And I think, what are we teaching those children? We are, as adults, making an assumption that they cannot handle disappointment. Mm. Or they cannot look at someone else's performance and say, they deserved that today. They played really well. And so again, I'm all for inclusion. I'm all for embracing strengths. I'm all for systems that support us to develop the parts of ourselves that we want to explore and we want to achieve in. But I think we have to trust that our kids growing up can manage hard stuff. Mm. And if we sugarcoat that or we protect our children, and maybe our generation was protected from that, being taught that we could do anything, for example, then we're not actually enabling people to explore their own ability to navigate the tough stuff. And practice their own resilience.
0: Yeah. I would love to do another episode about that, Jackie. So yeah. let's make a note. Okay. Side note. <laughs> we're going to talk about resilience and... Which things. is a word I hate, actually.
1: So we're going to change Okay, the we'll word. call it something We're not going to talk about resilience because it's... Coping well? Yeah. Coping well, managing, navigating your own skill sets, you know, living, really.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll do that another day. So the values exercise is a really great practical tool that people can do now if they want to get off the hamster wheel of happiness and pursue something more meaningful, which will give far better benefit in their lives. Is there any other tools that you can suggest that might help people in this way? I think the other big thing is practicing emotion
1: regulation. So when you look at the research the science around what makes the biggest contribution to wellbeing. And there's lots of things.
0: Is well being a better word to use than happiness. That's the would word that I would choose to use. Okay. So get rid of happiness, look at wellbeing, because it's a far more holistic picture.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And it comes back to that eudaimonic purposeful meaningful life, I think. But emotion regulation is a key skill that the World Health Organization says that we all need in order to live a well life. Emotion regulation, break that down, what does it mean? It means I've got an ability to know when I'm feeling something. I've got an ability to say, this is a feeling that's helpful for me right now or a feeling that's not helpful for me. And if it's a not helpful feeling for me or not a pleasant feeling... Can I regulate it? Mm. Can I get the meaning it's trying to tell me? Can I understand what the feeling is there for? And then can I regulate it? And if we are really good at practicing emotion regulation, we're able to move through those bell curves of emotions freely or more freely. We're not going to get stuck or trapped in a rut of emotions. We're not going to get ourselves so distressed or overwhelmed that we stop feeling emotions, for example, that we become blunted in all our feelings. Mm. And so that's a skill set we can be taught and we can practice how to get good at recognizing what we're feeling and regulating them when we need to. And I think the more we can have practice of that, actually, the more you'll probably feel happiness as a byproduct of life rather than trying to go and seek it out.
0: Is there something you can tell us now about how to regulate sure. emotions? So pick one. Give me a feeling. Um, Fear fear. So just say I'm worried or
1: or scared of something. One, I'd want to know or want you to be able to say, what am I worried of or afraid of? Mm -hmm. I'd then get you to say, is that a realistic worry or not? If it's a realistic worry, problem solve around it. If it's a realistic fear that you can do something about, sit and problem solve. Mm -hmm. If it's outside of your control, if it's an unrealistic fear, then you need to be able to dial down the fear. And there are physiological ways of doing that, like breathing from your belly Mm -hmm. or exercising, because exercise releases serotonin, which is actually your happy drug. Mm -hmm. Your happiness drug is serotonin. Perhaps you try and induce a positive emotion. So singing and dancing, actually the arts produces a lot of serotonin. Mm -hmm. They're a really lovely way of shifting your
0: mood. So there are the physiological things you might do. I can absolutely advocate for that. If I'm going to an audition... And I'm feeling really nervous. I will turn on the radio to the station that plays a lot of pop songs and just sing at the top of my lungs to whatever song is going on. And it's, it really works. Like for me, moving a big emotion like, like fear or anxiety, if I've got a lot of adrenaline going through me, I need to match that energetically. So I find it difficult in the moment to breathe through it. Often, for me, that takes a bit longer. Mm-hmm. But for me, a shortcut is to yeah, do something physical, singing yeah. in the car or if I've got space to dancing or jumping or somehow getting that energy out, I find really helps. Yeah. And again,
1: fear is an evolutionary call to action and you're using your body, right? You're using the energy that needs to be used from a fight or flight perspective. Your body is wanting you to do something with that feeling. Mm -hmm. Other very well-known ways of regulating emotions are by writing or talking. And so writing or journaling where you actually have pen to paper I'm not so sure on the typing. I think it has to be a proprioceptive pen to paper, helps you process. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's you giving yourself space to think through your thoughts or to flesh things out. They're actually not so sure on the mechanism. The research might be updated and I might not know, but from what I am aware of, we know that writing helps, but we're not quite sure why. And talking, being able to share and mull things over and soundboard with someone is a helpful regulation skill. Mm -hmm. I always put a caveat around that, which is talk with someone that's not going to wind you up, (laughs) feed the fear, make it worse. You want someone that actually is really good at listening, providing perspective, validating you. That's Mm -hmm. what you're seeking for in talking with someone.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Jackie. What I love about this conversation is that it's really clear, like it's really clear that happiness Is not a great thing to focus on because it's impossible to maintain as it should be. And there are really clear things to turn our gaze in another direction and head towards meaning and purpose. And that just by implementing a few changes in your life, you can actually completely shift your perspective on your life and what you want it to be. So thank you so much for that. And I feel like we're going to be coming back to these kinds of really core issues quite a lot over the course of this series because it affects us in so many ways in our relationships and our relations with the world around us at such a primal level. So I'm looking forward to continually touching on this in in different ways as we go throughout the season. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And,
1: uh, I hope everybody enjoys our chat as we grow our friendship, as we mm-hmm. have these discussions. And I hope that they feel like they were sitting here
0: with us. Me too. See you everyone. Ciao. That was what matters most for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you did enjoy this week's episode, it would be great if you could rate, review and subscribe to this podcast as that helps let other people know that we're here. Thanks again. See you next time.